10 till 1. Mid mornings with Linda Ness. We're here at Real Life and we're talking to a bunch of people who are going to be putting on a show at the junction. We have here Chris, who's doing some filming as we speak. We have Jenny, who loves acting. We have Emma. We have Nikki and we have John. And I understand that this whole idea came from John. So hi, everybody. Hello. Hi. 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 Okay, so first of all, tell me about the Funky Flamingo Club. What is the Funky Flamingo Club? Uh, um, Funky Flamingo Club is a project for people with learning disabilities or without to get a chance to socialise, to meet friends and to doing things like entertainment, six-pack DJs, VJs and everything was there. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Is it something you really enjoy going to? Yes, I do. And are you part of running the, the Funky Flamingo Club? Yes, I am, because I'm the Funky Flamingo Club co-coordinator. How long has that been going? The um, project started in December 2007. So quite some time. Yeah. And how many people go to these, these events, these evenings? Well, it's about at least 500 or 550. 550? Yeah. Lots and lots of people then? Yeah. And how, how often does it happen? It's every twice a month. Twice a month? Yeah. You must need some size of a venue for 550 people turning up. Yeah. <laughs> or does not everyone turn up at the one time? Throughout the night, people will go home because some people will be with their personal assistants. Throughout the night, people go in, go out. We're trying to hold it a bit later this time. So if anyone wants to turn up later and have more of an evening and listen to the music and enjoy their night, they can. But if people want to come early, it starts from half seven. So there's a chance for everyone to sort of come. And Jenny, what do you enjoy most about the Funky Flamingo Club? I just enjoy organising everything. Just sort of distributing the posters, making everyone aware of it. I think at the, at the moment what the plan is is to actually try and put one big club night on every, every maybe three months yes. at the moment yes. because to do an event like that twice a month... It's a lot of work. Maybe yeah. in the future, that's a great thing to aim for, but at the moment, I think the plan is every three months, four months or so. I can imagine, because there's not... I mean, 550 people, that's a big turnout. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 there's entertainment, there's impersonators like Elvis, um, that's Chris Fuller, does that. Yes, that's Chris who's doing the videoing at the moment, I believe. So, yes, I think you're, you're a, a very good Elvis impersonator by all accounts. He's shaking, he's shaking yeah. his head and looking really shy, but I yeah. don't believe that for a minute. Yeah, I think he'll yeah. be very good. That's true. <laughs> okay, so tell me about real life. Real life is a trust. Um, it's an organisation that gets people involved in getting back into work if they have a disability or they're disabled. They offer general support, they, don't they, they sort of student exchange in, in uh, is it Czechoslovakia? Czech, Czech Republic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they also help with um, personal budgets. So they give you advice and things like that, maybe financial yes. advice. and Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. And this big show that you're wanting to put on at the junction, okay, and that was your idea as well, John, wasn't yeah. it? Tell me about what you're hoping will happen. What are you trying to get together here? Well, it's like a big a big club night, really, um, to try and get more more funding because we try to get more funky club nights in Cambridgeshire and other areas as well, like Peterborough, 
Essex in different areas mm -hmm. and especially in Dorset as well because there's not much in Dorset and other areas as well like giving them talks mm -hmm. or PowerPoint presentation mm -hmm. which I am doing that work as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, and this is going to be a big show, isn't it? Yes. So you're going to be, and you're you're hoping to put get lots of people together, to um to do the show, aren't you? Yeah. And so, what what kind of people are you looking for to to take part in this? Well, people with disabilities or, or without, hmm? and different organisations and get them involved to come. Mm -hmm. So, if any if anyone out there is interested in taking part in this show, yeah. in what singing and maybe dancing or yeah. telling jokes well, and yeah okay so we've got jenny here and jenny is going to be taking part in this big show and you really enjoy doing theater work don't you yeah so what's the stuff that you like doing the most do you like doing improvisation or do you like coming up with ideas for shows or do you like reading from scripts what, what's your favorite bit Reading from scripts, because that gives you an idea of what your lines are, and then once you've read the script a few times, you've got your lines in your head, ready for the actual performance. Mm -hmm. And you can really think about the character as well, yeah. and decide who they are, and how to how they would speak, and how they would yeah. act. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, I think we're going to be looking forward to seeing you in this show. You're going to be coming up with some ideas, aren't you? Yes, but I'd, I'd need some help. With yeah. the ideas. I'm sure you'll get lots of help. Have you got a director or somebody who's pulling it all together? Or is that you as well, John? I think so, yes. <laughs> You're a, a man of many talents, aren't you, John? Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Tell me about the jumble sale. You're running a jumble sale in order... What, what, what's the purpose behind it? Obviously to raise funds. Yeah. And what are these funds going to go towards? Um, the funds is, is going to uh, get more funky club nights back. Uh-huh and also get some transport as well to take participants and student members. OK. And this jumble sale, have we organised a date yet for yeah, it? Yeah, the date is uh, on 26th of October. What day is that? Is that it's on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. And where is it being held? At St Andrew's Church in Cherry Hinton. St Andrew's in Cherry Hinton. Excellent. So what time does that start? Uh, 2.30 to 5.30. OK, so this is all to raise funds for, for the uh, the Funky Flamingo. Yeah. That's brilliant. Our organisation's in Orwell House, down Cowley Road, Road in um, Milton. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you're interested, just give us a call um, or send us a letter. Phone number um, for here in case people are yes. interested? Yes, the number is 01223420850. That's Cambridge Code 420850. Okay, so the website, your website, what's the name of that? It's www.worldlife, just one L in there, so people can find out, people can contact you through that if, if they're interested in either coming along to the show yeah. in, in January yes. or taking part in the show in January. And of course, we've got this um, this jumble sale that's going on Saturday as well. And you yeah. really want people along to support that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So also, if you if you want to get involved with that, just give us a ring. Well, thank you all very much. That sounds really, really interesting, the stuff that you're doing. I'm going to have to catch up with you again closer to this show yeah. and find out how yeah. it's going. Of course. Yeah? Of course.
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, everybody. That's okay. Lovely. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. From one till four. Afternoons with Lee Last. Joining me here in the studio is Hannah Steele. Now, Hannah is a community fundraiser at the Cambridge Marie Curie Fundraising Group. Good afternoon, Hannah. It's nice to have you here in the studio with us today. Oh, good afternoon, Lee. Now, the Marie Curie nurses, they're an incredibly important part of many people's lives here in, in Cambridgeshire and across the east of England. So just give us a quick taste of what the charity does for the people of Cambridgeshire, really. Um, yes, well, given the choice, most of us would want to spend our last moments at home. So Marie Curie Cancer Care nurses give people that opportunity they're able to spend their last days surrounded by their friends, family, loved ones, you know, even your pet dog. And really the nurses come in and provide that hands-on care when they most need it. And that's the kind of thing, you know, it's the personal touch. It's the personal touch that appeals to um, everyone. It's not just the uh, patient it's the families and carers that are supported, aren't they? It is indeed. I mean, the service that our nurses provide isn't just the basic hands-on nursing care. They're really there for the whole family, for their emotional welfare, for their support. Um, we mustn't lie, you know, losing a loved one is a really challenging time. You know, we often know, don't know what to do, what to say, and that's when our nurses come in and reassure people that they're doing the right thing and that their loved one is in good hands. And especially when you're in a clinical environment such as a hospital, it's a bit sterile, and that is the personal touch that really matters at the end of the day. Um, a staggering fact that I read earlier, actually, was that uh, the Mary nurses cover at least 95% of the UK, providing care and support to cancer patients and their families at the charities, nine hospices and at homes across the county. Do you get a high uptake of people that want to offer their services to the charity? Um, we do find we get a lot of volunteers. Um, I mean, we're, we're very, very lucky. I mean, at Marie Curie Cancer Care, we have over 2,700 nurses and healthcare assistants that provide that care. Um, and that's fantastic. That means we can reach nearly every community in the UK. Um, just alone in Cambridgeshire last year, we were able to help two, sorry, 392 patients, which was equivalent to about to 25,000 hours of nursing care that we provided. That's, that's a lot of time, volunteer hours. It's always quite heartwarming to see people that are willing to help out. Do you get many people that have actually been touched with cancer, cancer experiences? Do you get them helping out more than, say, people who aren't, haven't had previous experiences? Is it more like 50-50? We tend to find that, obviously, our nurses are trained medical professionals. Um, They've got very high quality skills, they've specialised in palliative care and those are the people that provide the nursing care people's homes. But we do get a lot of volunteers that come along um, and, you know, help with the funding. You know, we do require funding for our services to be able to be provided to people. So we find, yes, definitely in Cambridge, we've got a fantastic fundraising group. Um, and some of them do have personal stories and experience with Marie Curie nurses. As I've touched uh, briefly on before, the services of the charity provide extend beyond the patient themselves sometimes, also supporting the carers and families, don't they? What, what is the important aspect that Marie Curie Cancer Care supports on the uh, families and carers of the patient? Well, if I could use the example of Jenny. Um, Jenny belongs to our Cambridge fundraising group, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me sharing her story. But um, 17 years ago, she sadly lost her husband to cancer, um, and it was our Marie Curie nurses that provided him with the care and support in his own home so he could spend his last moments surrounded by the family and Jenny. Um, and Jenny really 
shows what we can do as a charity. She decided, you know, she'd do our little bit and volunteer. So she started off doing what we call great daffodil appeal collections, which happen every March. She went to all the various locations in Cambridgeshire and Cambridge collecting money for us. And then recently, this year, she joined the Cambridge fundraising group. And now she's going from strength to strength. Um, Jenny's going to be involved with our... um, well, it's going to be our auction of promises that's coming up this week. And um, she's just loving it. She just wants to get involved and do more. So this auction of promises, it's going to be held at the Six Bells pub in Folborn on Thursday. Give us a taste of what it's going to be on offer and some of the uh, some of the lots in the auction I hear. They're quite extravagant, some of them. Oh, yes, definitely. It's going to be a fantastic event. Um, the group have worked really, really hard to source a variety of lots and prizes um, and things on auction. Um, they've got everything, really, from meals out for maybe two, three, four people to um, sailing for two along um, the Suffolk coast. They've also got months' worth of gym memberships They've got, you know, special little pampering treats for reflexology and holistic treatments. And they've got loads of sporting memorabilia as well, all signed. And um, I asked you earlier on before the interview started about what is the wackiest thing you've had to give away at one of these auctions? And you gave me, quite frankly, a brilliant answer. We do, actually. At this auction on Thursday, um, we've actually got a signed photo from Paul Martin. Now, I don't know if your listeners know who Paul Martin is, but he's actually the chap from Flog It. Ah, Flog It. Now, how many people out there watch Flog It? I don't know. Let us know. So, um, as I say, absolutely heartwarming to see these people and um, your nurses giving up so much of the time. Have you got a website that the um, listeners could listen uh, go to, find out more information about your services? Yep, we do. We've got our national website for Marie Curie Cancer Care, which is www.mariecurie.org. Or you can um, find everything you need to know about what goes on locally in Cambridge on our East of England Facebook page, which is uh, Marie Curie, obviously log into Facebook, and that's Marie Curie Cancer Care East of England. Just search for Marie Curie Cancer Care East of England and I'm sure that will pop up. Hannah Steele, thank you very much for joining us here on Cambridge 105. From 10 till 1. Mid-mornings with Phil Rowe. Cambridge 105. The environment and our health. That's a talk that's going on tomorrow evening and that's open to anyone who has an interest in health and a desire to know how our environment affects it. Dr Damien Downing, pioneer of environmental medicine, president of the British Society for Ecological Medicine and part of the New Medicine Group in Harley Street in London, is coming up to Cambridge tomorrow evening to give us an honest and uncensored medical view of the adverse impact that he believes various aspects of our environment have on our health, from genetically modified GM crops and pesticides to maybe heavy metals and flame retardants. That's on tomorrow evening at uh, 7.30 at the Trumpington Pavilion in Paget Road in Trumpington. And we got hold of what we thought would be a very interesting topic. We're very glad that Sarah Ling has managed to join us this morning. Sarah, hello, good morning to you. Thank you for coming into the show. Hello, Phil. Yes, thank you for asking me. So are you a strong, active environmentalist, would you say, if you, you were to speak about yourself? 
Yes, I am. I mean, my, my background is health, and I think that you can't separate the two. If you're interested in your own body's health, you've got to be interested in the impact of the external environment on your health as well. So I don't think the two are separate, really. You're a Cambridge-based organisation, mm-hmm. something I hadn't heard of before, actually. I managed to look at your uh, website to uh, get a lot more information from you. You call yourselves mm-hmm. the Cambridge Institute of Complementary Health. You've got a rather good website, actually, to look at, and we'll probably point people to that later on. How long has that organisation been going? We formed the organisation now probably about three and a half years ago. Um, the, the colleague that I set that up with, Maddie, we're both therapists and both lecturers, but we decided we actually wanted to bring this out, get the word of health and the alternative way of looking at health out to a wider audience. So we formed that institute so that we could actually come together and bring speakers in and actually sort of just promote the education of, of health to a greater an audience. So to do that, because we were two separate therapists working, we needed that umbrella organisation to do that so we formed kick health and um, from that we did we've done various conferences we did one to start with on women's health in which was in the city we did an event earlier this year which was on breast cancer that was um, based up at shelford and this time last year we did a big conference in um, birmingham which was uh, a cancer convention and uh, that's where we actually met uh, Damien. That's where we had our first sort of uh, encounter with Damien. There, he was a fantastic speaker, along with many at that time. So that's how we that's how we started, really. It sounds like a very good event indeed for tomorrow evening. So your concerns, really, as an institute, are about the environment, as we've we've discussed already. Uh, what would you say is your number one crux at the moment in terms of an environmental issue here in Cambridge? Well, for here in Cambridge, I, I, would it be different from here in Cambridge just to anywhere, really? Because we're really basically all affected by the, the, the same aspects, no matter where we are. So for me, one of the one of the strong issues right now would be looking at the food. You know, and that's, that is completely generic wherever we are in the country. So Damien, I think, is going to be touching on that too, the use of pesticides, the use of GM crops. So that's a, that's a, um, a very touchy subject for people, but one that we certainly have to be addressing. And I know Damien is actually going to be featuring, that's, that's a strong feature of his talk tomorrow night. How much research has been done, for instance, let's start with pesticides then in food, to say that um, some of these pesticides, I don't know, may be turning into carcinogens, which mm. obviously will affect our bodies. So many people, we often talk on this radio station about um, people who've got cancer and how hopefully most of them have turned the corner and become well again. But it just seems that there are more and more incidents of that uh, terrible disease. It's mm. gone up, I think, statistically at the moment from a third of us that will be impacted by some form of cancer in our lifetime. I don't want to depress listeners this morning. Uh, it's, it's something like 35%, and it's going to rise to something like 50% by the year 2040, which is very alarming. So there must be some kind of external influences which are causing this t- to happen to us all. Where is science pointing? Where, where do we think that... The, we're being affected so much is it irradiation so is it because the cosmic layer is penetrating through to us now because the ozone layer is missing and and we're being extra irradiated by the sun or do you think we're just eating badly what what do you think is is impacting us that's causing these statistics to go up like this well i think probably um the the problem with cancer as as an illness in itself we just just concentrate on that one to start with is that it is so different for everybody that that suffers it but we are all subject to the same environmental factors and i think actually to sort of not be looking in that area is a mistake so where you're looking at anything which is you know contaminated with pesticides which pesticides are designed to kill pests if they're designed to kill pests they're not going to be great on mm. us either are they 
So anything that is, is actually that we're ingesting in that way has got to have an impact. So we're looking at a rise in pesticide use in, in the production of our food. Partly that's because actually, you know, we're, we're turning into a sort of a, a very sort of monocultural form of farming. We haven't, we are, we're changing our farming methods. We've changed our farming methods. So we're losing that diversity. That actually is having an impact on our health in general. If you're having to use more pesticides and you're having to, to, to use more use more chemicals in the ground to, sus, to sustain the crops that we need, that actually has, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know mm. that then we're going to be ingesting some of that. Along with that, of course, is that your external environment. If your internal environment isn't strong enough to cope with that, you have a problem. So when the internal environment is suffering because we are lacking the nutritional value in food, and certainly, yeah, I think most people would, would agree, you say, well, food doesn't taste the same. There's a reason why food doesn't taste the same. You know, much, of, much of our food that we're having now is, I mean, we live in a very farming area here, you know. Um, much of our food is having to be transported. I had a um, I take up with um, Waitrose the other week. I said, "Why are we living in the fens and importing carrots in from Italy?" Now, can you explain that one to mm. me? You know, and they said, well, "It's demand." Well, you know, where are our carrots going? <laughs> so we've got to be looking at where and what is going in our soil. Why are they having to be forced on? into the supermarkets we're demanding that we have these these vegetables all year round that shouldn't be there so the quality isn't going to be as good it doesn't nature doesn't do that mm. so where we're fighting nature in this way our internal environment is going to suffer because the nutrients are just not going to be there and if you don't have the right nutritional constituency in your body how does it cope with the external environment and i guess it takes tens of thousands of years like every other species, Homo sapien, the human being, I guess, to adapt anyway. But we yes. haven't got time to do that. We haven't. That's, you're absolutely technology, right. food technology is changing so rapidly mm. with the addition of more salt, I guess, mm. more sugar and more fat in our diet, which we all seem to be steadily uh, consuming without sometimes any real thought. But is it good for us? And the other thing that we should think about the positives in life, the reduction, for instance, of removing lead from petrol. Mm. I mean, it must be one of the good aspects of the environment at one time around about Spaghetti Junction in Birmingham it was way above any European limits the amount of lead that was mm. in the environment there and of course now it's all ebbing away yeah. so the, and the other aspect is, is the amount of sulphur now being emitted from chimneys across mm. Europe in our coal-fired power stations I'm sure there are some areas where there'll be a smile on your face Sarah we can say well actually there's been improvements here in this, this factor of, of the environment and in that factor too where are you happy about where things have turned a corner? Yes I, th I think yeah, of course you're, you're always pleased to see where there, there are there are rows in rows made to try to reduce that and, and we live in a very congested city you you know just you know quipping a little while ago about the 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 fact that the a14 for once was was traffic free but that's that's a rarity well, not traffic free as much as traffic's <laughs> traffic moving, moving exactly. <laughs> and that's a rarity i mean you know, randomly the city clogs up and that's that's not great that's not great for us who try to sort of cycle through it either so yes we are you know we are sort of cutting the emissions and and, and all of that is fantastic but are we not just adding other pollutants so we we're doing that which is great but we're also adding other pollutants too so we're seeing you know we're seeing a rise in the the impact of uh wireless on our body you know all of us here how many homes now are, are without some kind of wi-fi system and yes. it's probably on constantly so we're never without it we're never not attached to a mobile phone so, so we're irradiated by radio signals absolutely. bombarding some absolutely. very local sources quite could be right near your bed as well and some absolutely. people are worried about the effects of well these microwaves on on your brain on your mm. body 
There's been a lot of research, isn't there, into mobile phones over the years, especially in Sweden, to see if whether the emissive power from a mobile phone right next to your, your brain, your cranium and your skull uh, could actually be causing some adverse effect on the brain. I don't, I don't know whether that was ever been, has it been inconclusive in any way at all? Yes, absolutely. There, was a, there are some very good studies, actually, um, that you can actually see the, the clips on, I think it's a clip on YouTube that will show you one of these studies where, where you put, where you see the activity of, of the cells, of the, of the body cells, where you put a mobile phone next to next to those body cells and they absolutely go crazy so you know is, is this good is this good to constantly have this affecting us you know uh, and you see youngsters you know we we were lucky we were brought up in an environment where you know we were really quite trouble free really yes. um but now you know they're walking around constantly with a mobile phone plugged into their ears or an ipad or you know, where does this lead us i suppose you know? it's the localization of the energy of the signal compared mm. to the old days i mean even in the 19th 19- 60s i dare i say when i saw the advent pretty much of color television from black and white so i mean there was all, there were always radio waves and radio signals mm-hmm. but they were obviously masts are all some distance away yes. maybe up on hills and up on mountains in areas which are less habit yes inhabited. And now, you know, we've got them right on our doorstep and, and and right within our own homes as well so you know we're constantly bombarded so it's very very crucial that your internal environment then can cope with that and as you mm. rightly pointed out genetically we are not coping with that we are not keeping up we are we are just not being able to evolve quick mm-hmm. enough to cope with that so we're seeing you know a rise in in very major systemic illnesses cancer being one of them but you know you're looking at you're looking at autoimmune illnesses alzheimer's you know you're looking at ms all of these are on the increase Mm. now we've had a we've had a very good health system and and it does its best but it's not cracking some of these illnesses and Mm -hmm. cancer being one of them you look at the billions and billions that has been thrown at cancer since the 1950s and the war on cancer as nixon declared we we are no further forward with that you know the the um we've been looking we've been looking at the genes we've been we've been looking at the drugs that we control it with but we haven't looked yet at really where the causes are and it isn't genes genes are just not the answer it is not the only answer so we have got to be looking to see well what else what's going on in this environment right now that we're not coping with that's causing the the stimulus Mm. To do terrible things to our bodies, I Absolutely. guess. Absolutely. It's all a bit depressing, really. I know. I, I did try to get you on the lighter side by saying, well, you know, what has gone away in the environment, what you feel better about, more comfortable about. What would you say are the positives at the moment? Would you say our move towards wind and wave energy is a good thing? Would you say that Hinkley Point, which the government's announced, will have Hinkley Point C, the new nuclear generation plant? Obviously, I'd imagine you'd say mm-hmm. that's a bad thing. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, yeah, nuclear energy, I mean, you've always got a problem there, haven't you? You're always going to have a problem with what you do with the waste of it and where, where that's going to go. And, you know, we're already seeing problems with that. And, and, and I don't think actually, I don't think somebody like me is ever going to think that nuclear nuclear technology right. is, a, is a great way to, to be heading. But it it's it isn't a negative to or it isn't a it is it's not a downside i think to be looking at what the problem is that actually is the basis to for something positive to come out of it mm-hmm. you know the negative is to constantly live in fear that we could be suffering you know of, of what's around the corner whereas if we say well actually this is this is a situation we can do something about that's a positive you know the negative is as i say to constantly live in fear and i think that that actually is not a great aspect for us all we all live in fear of the of of the papers saying we're all going to die from this we're all going to die from that fear is not a great state to be living in whatever so my take on this is that 
there are a lot of positives out there you can make a positive choice every time you do your shopping you can purchase the organic not the not the um the com- the, the the other things that should not be named right. from other countries maybe <laughs> yeah, so which won't we, be named either yeah yes. we we can be doing our bit and that is all very positive we we have that power within us we are yes. the consumers we are the people who make the choice so it is positive consumer choice and the power that goes with it yes. sarah we've just got time to uh, mention tomorrow evening's event again it's at half past seven it's at the trumpington pavilion you can find that in the middle of paget road i believe there's a big playing field and if i'm if i'm right it's Absolutely. the building in the middle it is. on the housing estate there just off it's trumpington beautiful. high street in it's trumpington. a lovely venue <laughs> i haven't been inside before i have to say it's through till nine thirty. coming along is uh, the speaker of the evening dr damien downing uh, the pioneer of environmental medicine he's president of the british society of ecological medicine and his talk is the environment and our health so if, uh, the topic we've raised this morning is stirring things up in your mind then go along and hear what he has to say it's 10 pounds admission on the door and we'll give you a little bit of promotion as well for your website as well, Sarah, before you disappear. It's cichealth.org.uk. That's www.cic for the Cambridge Institute of Complementary Health. So it's cichealth.org.uk. Can Sarah I, Ling, yes. yes. Can I just say that we also, we, we've um, we, we've just transferred chance exposing everything over to the um, Complementary Health Institute website. So it's chi. So there's two websites. One will link into the other anyway. That You'll would explain why I saw one and then I, I opened it this morning other. and found the other. Yes, so indeed. So there we are. So which is going to be your main one? It'll uh, probably it'll probably um, become the CHI one. That's where we're heading. Yes. Sarah, thanks for coming in and Thank uh, you for sharing your views with us this morning. From 10 till 1. Mid-mornings with Linda Ness. For lots of different reasons, children can find themselves in a situation which means that their family is unable to look after them for a period of time. Across the UK on any one day, there are more than 62,000 children who are in this situation and they need to be looked after by foster carers. Many adults who have been fostered as a child look back with fondness to the foster carers who gave them guidance and the confidence to make something of their lives. Now, there's no doubt that caring for often vulnerable children is a good thing to do, and yet many of us are really reluctant to do this. So, this morning we're going to hear what it's like to be a foster carer, and we have Caroline John Kiemi, uh, Chemi, sorry, Chemi, I knew I'd get that wrong, Caroline, um, and she's a social worker with the fostering and adoption team at Cambridgeshire County Council, and Angela Jackson, who's an experienced foster carer. So, welcome to Cambridge 105. Caroline and Thank Angela. You. Thank you. Now, this is an interesting topic. Caroline, can, can I speak, say to you first, um, who's eligible to foster? Must you be a parent already and have experience with children? No, you don't need to be a parent or have any form of experience. All we um, are looking for is you can be either a single parent you can be from any race or culture background or mm-hmm. any religion and we're just looking for a safer and caring loving home if you if you have a spare bedroom that is fine and if you generally would like to look after children that is fine so um there's no like pacific um it probably like if if you're a parent and you've had children before now mm-hmm. but if your heart is there and you want to be a foster carer then always phone into our office and um, we can run you through the skills training we do 
and how we speak to people that would like to be foster carers. Okay. Yes. So, but but one one thing is a spare room. You've got to have, of, of course, you've got to have the room to put someone up. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and there are different types of fostering, isn't there? Yes, there's different types because we have like permanent fostering. Mm-hmm. We have um, time limited, which is a, a short period of time. We have link. That is um, link foster carers that look after disabled children. And that's to give the parents a rest, presumably, because yes. it's quite a, quite a strenuous yes. activity. Yes, because it's very intense, mm. the caring. And then sometimes, you know, the, the child and parent will like a break away from each other. Mm-hmm. And um, also we have staying put. That is um, foster children that have been fostered for a long period of time. They've reached the age of 16. They don't have the confidence to live independently. Mm, that's very young. Yes, yeah. very young. So um, they still like to stay with their foster carers. And their foster carers can um, teach them various forms of skills like cooking, budgeting, getting them ready and prepared to when they want to live independently. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we have... Um, we have um, permanent i said permanent and then um time limited staying put we also have supporting lodge Mm -hmm. that is also um another form of um children that are 16 plus and that are too not ready to live independently Mm -hmm. so they have a what we call a provider that is like a landlord it's like a lodger yes 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 but you kind of keep an eye on them and make sure that everything's okay yes that's that's really interesting. And are the children always from the local area when you foster? Most of them are, but then again, we do get a few that are from um, outside the county council. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I suppose it's a good idea to keep them in the school that they already go to and things like that. Is that taken into account? Or? It is taken into account, but where it's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, in that the, we don't have a foster carer in that particular area, mm-hmm. then. Um, the child we move but we we do try our possible best in that we get, we provide transport for the child mm-hmm. from wherever the child is being placed to where the child is going to school yeah because it's such a disruption for them yes. anyway never mind having to change school as well yes yeah it must be very yes. difficult and, and angela yeah. y- you've been a foster carer for how long have you been five years five, five years, years. Now. yeah wow you must enjoy it then presumably very much so very much so we get a lot of joy and our house is full of laughter with our children obviously we have our ups and downs as uh-huh. all parents do with oh, children yeah. Yeah. um gcses and stresses with boyfriends and just gen life but as a family we're there to support our young people and tell us about some of your experiences in general terms of course not specific with myself and my partner where we've been approved by panel to have um short-term long-term permanency and we've just applied for the stay non scheme with our young person who's just turned 16 and as you said quite rightly just gone into college and it's nowhere near well, ready to live independently they're still they're children up, themselves but yeah, yeah precisely and we've had some brilliant times with our young lady she came to us when she was 14 um from the police cells I'm not going to lie, she'd had a really, really, really rough time with her birth family Mm -hmm. and just rebelled against Mm -hmm. the world, was very, very angry, very upset. She's been with us two years now. She's just got A's, B's and C's in distinctions in her GCSEs, has started at Cambridge Regional College on a two-year course and hoping to go to university. So with the support, the guidance, the understanding, 
of her family yeah so that's a real success story success actually story. isn't it yeah. that's really good yeah. and that that must make you feel because Makes, you, who knows what would have happened but it, it, at least you kept her kept yeah. her at the school and, and kept her going yeah. And yeah yes that's great that's fantastic and how how do the other children and your family have you other children yes in the yes yeah. i have two how chi- do they feel yeah i we have a there's a big age group a big age gap my oldest daughter is 27 lives with her husband and their two children my young my middle daughter is 25 and does still live at home but works and because we have a 16 year old and we also have a 10 year old little boy with us on a permanent placement Mm -hmm. because he'll be with us for a very long time it's talking to your birth children doesn't matter if they're the same age or older explaining the children's needs that you're going to be looking after them why you're looking after them a bit about their background, what they've been through. Lots of children won't go through what these children, have, or lots of adults won't mm-hmm. go through what these children have been through in the first few years of their lives. So it's giving your family and your friends the understanding and the support, helping them support you mm-hmm. as a grown-up to mm-hmm. support the children that you're looking after. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So, I mean, like, as I say, my 25-year-old lives at home. And sometimes we can go days without even seeing each other. And then we'll sit down and, and put a date in the diary. Yes, we need to go do lunch because <laughs> I know you need time too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So this morning we're talking to Caroline um, John Chemi, who is a social worker, and a foster carer, Angela Jackson. And we've been hearing about what it's like to foster children. Um, we, we were talking um, to you, Angela, about this. And what, what support do you get from the professional teams, the professionals like, like mm-hmm. um, Caroline? You have people like Caroline who are fostering support social workers. So they work with myself and my partner and our family. They're there to support us mm-hmm. with any equipment, any needs, any training, any advice that we may need as a family our children have their own independent social workers who they can go to if they have a problem if they're unable to come to me as a Uh foster parent and say i'm unhappy about this or i need this Uh they have someone they can go to and then every so often we all get together and we have a discussion just to meet the child's needs and the family's needs Uh and try to keep things on as an equal setting as possible yes because you get the children come into your homes and as much as you want children into your homes and you want to do this job it takes up it takes time to form the attachment for them to be able to come to you and say i don't like this about the way we're living whether it be teas at six and i'd rather it be at half past six or whether (laughs) i I, you know i can't go on the computer after 10 o'clock anything anything or going out i assume because i'm assuming that some of the kids might have had a lot more freedom than maybe you're prepared it's very it's very difficult because some of the children we have especially the teenagers that come in into into foster care haven't had the boundaries haven't had the parents saying no i don't think that's very reasonable we can we can sit down and we can agree a time for you to come in but this is how we live and this is how our family runs Mm -hmm. and it takes a long time it can take a long time for that trust understanding and relationship to build up Mm. and you meet other other families who foster children as well there's a foster support network and every 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 four or five weeks there's groups of foster parents every month that get together and you see it and you discuss and 
you chat and you share experiences and mm-hmm. that's a learning curve in itself because if I've been through an experience and someone's just gone through it I can mention how I dealt with it how we dealt mm-hmm. with it as a family mm-hmm. whether it was right whether we got it wrong which we do yeah, quite often as yeah. all, as, par- all parents do yeah, absolutely absolutely and it's, it's gaining exper- experiences yes. I also have a mentor who's been fostering for nearly 30 years who is absolutely amazing, who I can just ring up and say, I'm not quite sure, what would you do mm-hmm. at any time, 24 hours a day? She's always there and picks yes. up the phone for me, which is lovely. And the arrival, presumably, yeah. is quite traumatic a lot, a lot of the time when oh, you get a new child yeah. arriving. Yeah. The, the, the young people will quite often, they will just be brought by a social worker and be told, <laughs> this is where you're going to be living now. If there are several ways of doing it, sometimes you will just get a phone call and say, I need, we, we need a room for this child, can you take them in? And of course, if you can, you do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be organised where you can meet the child beforehand, they'll yes, come for tea, yes. they can see your family book about what you like to do, mm-hmm. meet the other people in your family. But very often, it's just a phone call saying, yes. can you take this child? And it's an, up, it's an upheaval for the family that are settled, the children that are settled, but also the young person who yeah. on the outside might seem very calm and very subdued but mm-hmm. inside, if you can imagine their, yeah. yeah, if you can imagine their emotions turmoil, what's going mm-hmm. through, I don't know these people are they going to like me, am I going to like those yeah. precisely, it's very difficult with little control over their own destiny absolutely, as well. That's absolutely yeah. uh, and Caroline, it, it must be quite time consuming but do, do most of your foster carers do they do it full time or do they work yes um we do have foster carers that do it full time especially if you have a child that is um, under the school age but that is just if if you're a parent or if sorry if you are married if you're a couple mm-hmm. then we always um say to the foster carers if one could be a full-time carer but on saying that we do have uh, foster carers that have full-time job and then do it over the weekend so they're like respite foster carers I see. or we do have foster carers that um, take on emergency placements in that um, a child needs a place straight away so um, we place it under emergency with the um, foster carer that takes on emergency and the child could be there for just maybe a day two days or a week Mm -hmm. so we do have um foster carers that work full-time and are on um holiday they work term time and they're on holidays during um the summertime and they can take on a child during that summer period so we do have um foster carers that are part-time foster carers we have foster carers that are full-time foster carers Excellent. Now, I, you know what, we could go on and mm. on for about an hour talking about this, and I think it's a really interesting topic. Unfortunately, we're constricted by time and I've got to go to travel. So just finally, Caroline, could you give out contact details? If anyone's interested in, in fostering, how do they get in touch with you? Um, if they can call us, please, on our free phone number, which is 0800 052 0078. I repeat, 0800 052 0078 or they can visit us on our website www.cambridgeshire.gov.uk forward slash fostering Excellent. Th- ladies, thank you very, very much for coming in thank you. Um, thank this morning. You. Thank you for been, having us. As I say, interesting topic. Maybe maybe we should get you back at some point actually just to carry yeah. on because I think there's so much to be said about it and you know I have to say my hat goes off to you mm. for fostering. Well done. All about the city. Cambridge 105.
All about the city. Cambridge 105.